Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Doug Larson once said, The world is full of people looking for spectacular happiness while they snub contentment. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's on tap for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do you bloom where you are planted? And our theme text is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Okay, so everybody's heard this before. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. As we go about the business of making our lives work, we can easily and frequently wind up looking at others around us with some level of uh, envy. They seem to have it better than we do. They seem to be more stable or secure or more engaged than we are. These emotional and reactionary observations then give way to those gnawing feelings of, uh, if only I had, or if only I could, or why does everything seem to always go their way? What we're left with is a discontented void in our hearts, and that hollow yearns for fulfillment. So, how do we get there? As Christians, how do we fill that space with thoughts, words, and actions that are not envious or discouraged? How do we embrace our experiences with a God-honoring and growth-oriented acceptance and outlook? So it's all about how do you bloom where you're planted? Jonathan, coming up in today's podcast, bloom where you're planted. It's a great metaphor. The problems with living the reality are many, and sometimes they're complicated. So we're going to focus on the practicality of this particular question, with questions like, shouldn't we have something to say about this planting? I mean, okay, bloom where you're planting. Well, you know, don't you get some choice in that? I mean, it's my life after all, so shouldn't I have a say in that? What if I don't like where I've been planted? How do I register a complaint? (laughs) <laughs> you know, what if the field in which I'm planted doesn't have the best soil? Can I move? I mean, shouldn't I move? I mean, you know, it's a matter of what does this mean in, in terms of practical life? What if my planting makes me mad instead of making me grow as a Christian? Can I quit? You know, it's like I've had enough of this planting nonsense. I want to do it a different way. First, though, where did this saying even come from? And what if I'm totally skeptical about the whole commitment of being planted somewhere? What if I like to be a free spirit and I like to kind of move around and about and so forth? Anyway, let's get down to it, Jonathan. Where does bloom where you are planted actually come from? We've got an article to quote here. What is it? Well, it's from um, posted by Ellis Bruce on July 30th, 2015. Over the generations, people have attributed bloom where you are planted to the Bible. And while that's not exactly correct, 
the idiom does have a connection to the Catholic Church. The Bishop of Geneva, St. Francis de Sales, in 1567 to 1622 is credited with saying the following, and here's the quote, truly charity has no limit for the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by his spirit dwelling in each one of us, calling us to a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. That's quite a a, a a poetic statement. It's very it's beautiful. You know, he's life of devotion, inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted, and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. Just a just a, a beautiful picture, and we're going to take that picture that has been a, a saying for, you know, for hundreds of years, literally, and, and, and take a look at it throughout this podcast and examine it in, in a lot of practical ways. We want to have a little fun with it as well. And there's going to be some pretty serious stories that go along with this. And Jonathan, let's start with one of those serious stories. This first soundbite, and we're going to be following the story throughout the, the program, is about Amy Mullins. Now, Amy Mullins is an American athlete an actress and a fashion model who first became famous for her athletic accomplishments. She was born with, and I hope I get this right, with fibular hemimelia, which means she was missing fibula bones in both of her legs, and that resulted in the amputation of both of her lower legs. So she was born severely, and I'm going to use this word a little bit lightly, as you'll find out throughout the podcast, she was born disabled. Okay, she was born with a handicap. So we're going to follow her story. This first part of the story is just kind of giving us her 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 entrance into the world as she looks back, uh, you know, through her life and is doing. She's actually doing a TED talk. The TED talk is called "The Opportunity of Adversity," and it's Amy Mullins. So let's listen listen to the beginning. A few years ago, I was in a food market in the town where I grew up in that red zone in northeastern Pennsylvania. I hear this guy, this voice behind me say, well, if it isn't Amy Mullins, and I turn around, and it's this older man, I have no idea who he is. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, sir, I don't, have we met? I, I don't remember meeting you. He said, well, you wouldn't remember meeting me. I mean, when we met, I was delivering you from your mother's womb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> but of course, actually, it did click. This man was Dr. Keene a man that I had only known about through my mother's stories of that day. Because, of course, typical fashion, I arrived late for my birthday by two weeks, and so my mother's prenatal physician had gone on vacation. So the man who delivered me was a complete stranger to my parents. And because I was born without the fibular bones and had feet turned in and a few toes in this foot and a few toes in that, the stranger had to be the bearer of bad news. He said to me, I had to give this prognosis to your parents that you would never walk and you would never have the kind of mobility that other kids have or any kind of life of independence. And you've been making a liar out of me ever since. So, you know, it's, it's a wonderful beginning because there's a story of a very difficult circumstance, you know, for the parents especially, but you get a sense of what's coming. 
And, you know, the fact that we introduced her as an, an athlete and an actress and a fashion model, you say, well, it doesn't sound like she's very immobile. And, exactly. And so this is a, a wonderful story to base the whole idea of thinking. What does it mean to bloom where you're planted? Well, let's take a look at, at her life, among several other things as we go through this, as a, as a basis. So, Jonathan, we're, we're going to be playing off of the phrase, bloom where you're planted, okay? Because sometimes, you know what? Instead of bloom where you're planted, we think it's there's doom where you're planted. The challenge of anticipation without the all, all the information and the power of filling in the gaps. Okay, there's doom where you're planted. A lot of us, in a lot of our experiences, look and say, this isn't good. There's doom where I'm planted. But the, the point is you're supposed to bloom where you're planted. I got to admit, I had a whole lot of fun with the words and all this, as you'll find oh, out as we go very through. Very poetic. Right yeah, there. you know, I just, I, tr- I try really hard. It doesn't usually come out so good, but I try really hard. So anyway, so l- let's talk about the, this thought of there's doom where you're planted. We're going to use uh, scriptures in 1 Corinthians 7. And now the context of this is right after the Apostle Paul addresses marital questions and potentially unholy decisions of separation and divorce. Okay, that's the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We apply these next verses in principle to our present reasoning, our present conversation about blooming where you're planted, because he's talking about not leaving the unbelieving spouse and so forth because marriage is such an honorable thing within Christianity. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through uh, 24. We'll take it in several pieces. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has been called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Okay, so there's an interesting statement. He's sort of summing up some of his discussion. He's saying, look, as the Lord has assigned to each one, and as God has called you in, in the state that you're in, walk in that state. And see, I'm, I'm, and he's saying, and I'm giving this message to everybody. So he's really saying, and this is kind of odd, and we'll discuss this as we go, but he's saying, don't look for change. Don't look for change. And it's like, wait, 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 isn't Christianity all about changing? And the answer is absolutely, yes, it is. And the Apostle Paul is the one who teaches us that. But here, he's taking a part of our life and he's saying, don't look for change. And so, and, and the question you have to ask yourself is, well, what, is it, what, if, what, what if it seems like there's doom on the horizon as we don't look for change? Shouldn't we be like avoiding it? Uh, some fear creeping in. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's go now, verses 18 and 19 of 1 Corinthians 7. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. And that last phrase is everything in relation to the concept of bloom where you're planted. You know, as we look at the idea of there's doom where I'm planted, well, look, wherever it is, whatever the circumstances, the question to ask yourself is, Am I keeping the commandments of God, whatever it is that's coming my way? Whatever the doom looks like, am I keeping the commandments of God? And that's a real hint as to how to bloom in the face of doom, in the face of the... the. And, and, you know, you, you used a phrase when you, you described there's doom where you're planted. You said the challenge of anticipation without all the information. 
This is really important because one of the things we as human beings do all the time is we look into the future and we anticipate what's going to happen and we anticipate the doom or the gloom or the whatever else we're going to see and we don't have all the information because we don't know the future. It's not reality, is it, Rick? No, and, but we make it reality by anticipating without being able to fill in the gaps. God knows. God fills in the gaps. We can't. So the anticipation without all the information brings us to a, a mental place of doom, and we shouldn't be going there. So the Apostle Paul is clearly, teach, clearly teaching us that no matter what perceived advantage or disadvantage we may have, it all still leads to being able to bloom in spite of feeling like, well, that looks like doom coming right ahead. Um, l- let's go to uh, another another TED Talk, and, and we're just going to do small parts of this one, from Stacy Kramer. And the, the, the title of this is, it's a very strange title, The Best Gift I Ever Survived. And that's all I'm going to tell you about it at this point. And she's just going to describe this incredible gift. Let's listen to the beginning of her description of this gift. Imagine, if you will, a gift. I'd like for you to picture it in your mind. It's not too big, about the size of a golf ball. So envision what it looks like all wrapped up. Before I show you what's inside, I will tell you it's going to do incredible things for you. It will bring all of your family together. You will feel loved and appreciated like never before and reconnect with friends and acquaintances you haven't heard from in years. Adoration and admiration will overwhelm you. It will recalibrate what's most important in your life. It will redefine your sense of spirituality and faith. I don't know, that sounds pretty good. It sure does. <laughs> you know, bringing all these things into order and into perspective and, and so that, you know, you can, you, can, you can move forward in a whole different way and on a higher level. And, 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 and just, it just sounds like life becomes more profound mm-hmm. with this gift that she's speaking of. And we'll, and we'll come back to that uh, in the next uh, couple of segments here. So we've got the story of Amy Mullins, you know, the, the girl born with the, with the, the defect and had to have the, her lower legs amputated that we've just started. And we've got this story about the gift. We're talking about blooming where we're planted and the feeling that sometimes there's doom where we're planted because we're anticipating, we have anticipation without all of the information. Let's go back now to 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 20 to 24. We'll again take this in a couple of pieces. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free... Rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he was called while free is Christ's slave. This is a powerful example. When we're talking about bloom where you're planted, he's saying, look, if you came to Christ and you're a slave, now look, we're talking about Roman slavery, which was very, 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 very different than Jewish indentured servitude back in in the Old Testament. Very different, much much more harsh. And he's saying, if you're a slave, it's okay. Now, if you can be free, that's great. But if not, don't worry. He's basically saying, you can bloom where you're planted. And you are free in God's eyes. So don't worry about it. Verses 23 and 24. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. 
Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. He keeps saying that over and over again in this context. Remain in that condition with which you were called because God called you there for a reason. He called so he can help you. And, you know, it's in, well, let, let's get to the plant food. Every, every segment, Jonathan, we're going to have some plant food because if we're blooming where we're planted, you have to be <laughs> nourished. What's, oh, absolutely. What's Rick. the plant food here? Well, Rick, we easily interpret our circumstances as leading us down a path of doom, when in reality, if we could see through them, through the eyes of God, we could see them as fertilizer that provokes us to bloom. So you need to have the the anticipation needs to be built on information. And seeing through the eyes of God is the information that can help you actually bloom where you feel like there's doom. And it's just, it's a, it's a great little equation. The, God's perspective is like fertilizer for where we're planted. So seeing things from a higher perspective actually sounds easy. Of course, nothing great is ever easy. What should we do when we are not able to see life? From God's perspective, how do we grow? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. This is an expected challenge. It's also expected that God knows the limitations of our spiritual sight and has built into our experiences a compensating factor to help us through. That's something we need to expect as well. I think this is one of the most thrilling realizations that we can have. God knows, God plans, and God pays attention. So the idea of bloom where you're planted is putting yourself into the hands of God and saying, whatever your will is for me, I will do that. Jonathan, that's a scary statement to make. It is, but trust has a big factor in this. Trusting God to see us through. We, we really have to rely on leaning on him, don't we? Right, and, and, and without the leaning, we end up falling. Because, you know, if you're not going to lean on him, you're going to fall. And so the idea of a Christian's life is to put your absolute trust in him. Let's go back to the story, uh, the Amy Mullins story, uh, uh, about how she grew through the handicap, the, quote, disability that she had. And, you know, this, this soundbite we've titled, I think appropriately, the X factor and this is this is fascinating remember the, the pediatrician that uh, or the doctor that delivered her basically told her parents she's not going to have a very good life because this is really really serious here is how she recounts what he learned through the whole experience the extraordinary thing is that he said he had saved newspaper clippings throughout my whole childhood whether winning a second grade spelling bee, marching with the Girl Scouts, you know, the Halloween parade, winning my college scholarship, or any of my sports victories. And he was using it and integrating it into teaching uh, resident students, med students from Hahnemann 
Medical School and Hershey Medical School. And he called this part of the course the X Factor. And it was the potential of the human will. No prognosis can account for how powerful this could be in the, as a determinant in the quality of someone's life. He said, in my experience, unless repeatedly told otherwise, and even if given a modicum of support, if left to their own devices, a child will achieve. You know, there's an amazing power in that. And, and this doctor saw this, this, this baby grow into a little toddler, grow into a small child, grow into a, 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 an adolescent, grow into teenagehood and so forth. And he watched her succeed again and again and again and again. And he realized that the prognosis didn't count the X factor. And the X factor is the will with which we approach that which we have to deal with. That is one of the great, great secrets of learning to bloom where we're planted, is to be able to find that X factor in our own lives. So, so Jonathan, you know, again, it's bloom where you're planted, but sometimes we end up thinking, well, no, it's not bloom where I'm planted. It's there's gloom where I'm planted because things aren't looking so good. The challenge is in becoming depressed when the experience are long, difficult, and unrelenting. This can only be countered by adopting a powerful hope. So there's gloom where you're planted. You know, we, we talked about, you know, doom where you're planted. Gloom, the, the, the depression over lots of difficult pieces of experiences. And what we need to do is find hope. That's what this young woman did. She found hope through a lot of determination and a lot of work, and we'll find out more about that as we go through. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, about the gloom that we can potentially face. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that always, also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. You know, I, I, I love this scripture because he, Peter is saying, don't be surprised. And he's not saying, don't be surprised when things don't quite go your way. Don't be surprised if, you know, you get a little winded occasionally in your Christian walk. Rick, fiery ordeal. How about that? <laughs> well, you know, and a fiery ordeal sounds serious, and it, it is. is. And that's the point. Don't be surprised, but there's hope because of what he explains is that you're, you, you share the sufferings of Christ. What a privilege. It is. It's a privilege, and, and, and there's incredible growth that can happen. The depressing magnitude of trials needs the hopeful perspective that those trials are God's tools. It's like those trials are God's gardening tools. You know, I like it. you know, so that that can help us to bloom where we have been been planted. Good quote from Gilbert K. Chesterton. True contentment is a thing as active as agriculture. It is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. It is arduous and it is rare. And I love that. First of all, it uses agriculture. That's what caught, caught my attention originally. But the power of getting out of any situation, all that's in it. You know, 
Jonathan, you, I know you had the experience when you were a kid when your mom, you know, would make a chocolate cake, you know, and you'd have the bowl, you know, oh, yeah. afterwards. And did you get to like, you know, lick the bowl or put your fingers on the bowl or whatever it was? Absolutely. What a treat that was. And didn't you just go after everything till there was absolutely nothing left? You got it. Because somehow that tasted even better than the cake itself. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) But see, that's what this quote is saying. Getting out of any situation, all that's in it. And, and, you know, it's that X factor that we looked at from Amy Mullins and her experience. You know, the the next verses we're going to touch on. Again, we're talking about the, the challenges in becoming depressed when experiences are long and difficult and unrelenting. These next verses... Uh, are written in the context of Judah, the two tribe king of Judah, uh, two tribe kingdom of Judah. Sorry, they had great sins with idolatry back in the Old Testament. God begins by telling them of their coming failure because they're going down the wrong path, as they've believed in the deceitfulness of imperfect man and his imagination, and they believed in that over believing in God. He shows them the gloomy future of those who live without God. So there can be gloom where you're planted if we do it without God, because he's the one who planted us. But if we try to ignore him, there's gloom. Jeremiah chapter 17, 5 through 11, and we'll take that in several pieces. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh its strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in a stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Does that sound like fun to you? (laughs) No, not at all. Okay, living like a bush in the desert, there's no prosperity. um, It's a wasteland. Yes. You know, so he's saying, you're cursed if you, and, and how do you get to this wasteland? Are, are And those whose hearts turn away from God. So now they were God's chosen people. They had the opportunity and understanding of how to honor, praise, and worship God. But they did not bloom in that. And, and God is saying to them, it's not looking good for you. Because you're just going to be like a, this plant without water in the salted, salty wasteland. God now, verse 7, is going to show them the value of blooming where and how he had planted them. Instead of gloom, he's going to give them hope. Verses uh, 7 and 8 of Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Okay, there's two parts to that. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. So you're trusting in the Lord and... um, the Lord is the, the, the source of your trust. So you are giving trust to him because he has given you reason to have that trust. It is a two-way street there. Okay? And that does, Rick, give you hope, doesn't it? Well, it does. It does because it says you're blessed if you get this. And, of course, they had every opportunity to be able to get this. Uh, so what's the, what's the now consequence of having trusting in the Lord and having God as our trust. Verses, uh, verse 8. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. 
So there's a dramatic picture that is drawn in this prophecy of Jeremiah. And he's really saying, imagine being, instead of being that bush in the desert where there's nothing but salt and wasteland, imagine being a tree that's planted by the water and that the roots are out by the stream. You know what that means? You're never lacking. This is one healthy tree, Rick. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because it says, you know, uh, its leaves are going to be green and it says it won't be anxious because there's no gloom. You know, it's taken the gloom away because it's planted in the right place. So wherever you are, what God is telling us is if we are willing to focus on him, wherever we are, wherever we go, we are always going to be watered and healthy if we keep our roots where they belong. That's what he means by bloom where you're planted. Let, let's go back to uh, Stacy Kramer, the best gift I ever survived. Remember, she began um, describing the gift, and she's not done describing. She's just warming up. So, and it's the size of a golf ball, and it's all wrapped up. Okay, so let's go with this. Let's hear her description. You'll have a new understanding and trust in your body. You'll have unsurpassed vitality and energy. You'll expand your vocabulary. Meet new people, and you'll have a healthier lifestyle. And get this, you'll have an eight-week vacation of doing absolutely nothing. You'll eat countless gourmet meals. Flowers will arrive by the truckload. People will say to you, you look great. Have you had any work done? You'll be challenged, inspired, motivated, and humbled. Your life will have new meaning. Peace, health, serenity, happiness. Nirvana. The price? $55,000. And that's an incredible deal. Okay, so now she puts a price tag on this incredible gift. And she is utterly convinced that the $55,000 is absolutely worth it. Going to come back to her one more time and uh, get get the, the the final results of that next segment. So you want you you got to hear how she pulls this all together. So so you have to stay with us for that for the next segment. Let's get back to Jeremiah seventeen again. The theme for this segment is sometimes we feel like there's gloom where we're planted and and it's depressing to have difficulties and hardships. And you know, First Peter told us that you know, fiery trials. And Jeremiah says if you're focused. On, on man's strength and man's imaginations, you're like this tree in the desert. So verse 9 of Jeremiah 17, God reminds them, God reminds Judah, that it is the human heart, the human heart that deceives us above all else. Now, we've talked you know, in, in very positive terms about the human heart, but there's parts of it we have to be really careful of. Verses 9 through 11. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. As a partridge that hatches eggs which it has not laid, so is he who makes a fortune, but unjustly. In the midst of his days it will forsake him, and in the end he will be a fool." Okay, so he, he's, you know, the, 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 the statement is very powerful. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. 
And you think about that, you know, and, 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 and again, you know, we talked about the X factor in, in that, that the, you know, the, the application of the heart. And you say, well, how can both be true? Here's the thing. When it comes to godliness, we have to be really careful and really sure that our heart is aimed in the right direction. Rick, selfishness can take over quicker than we, we, we know. And most of the time, when it does take over, it doesn't look like or even feel like selfishness. You're right. It feels like perhaps entitlement. It feels like, well, I should have this. And what the human heart wants, the human heart is going to try to get and that's where the warning is. If you are being a godly person, you better be careful because the human heart is not always in harmony with the will of God. See, blooming is a function of, uh, a, a function of going through the experiences and doing the necessary work. That's what he's saying in these verses. You know, the partridge that, that hatches the eggs that, that weren't theirs. You know, it, there, there's, you haven't invested in the, in the effort. That's the lesson here. Hope keeps us focused as it paints a picture that provokes us to strive. Hope makes you want to put your efforts in the right places and in the right way. Let's go to Psalm 92, 12 to 15. Again, it's about challenging the depression of the gloom of our potential experiences by saying, what's the focus? You know, how am I seeing my way through this? Psalm 92, 12 to 15. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So again, you have this, this vibrant picture of planted in the house of the Lord. And Jonathan, this tree sounds like the other tree. Oh, yeah, very healthy. Right, right. And, and you know, the, the part I really like best about it? It says in verse 14, they will still yield fruit in old age. There's hope, brother. <laughs> hey. <laughs> you know, but, and, and, and I think that there, there's a, a powerful point in that, though, because, you know, we tend to, you, 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 as you age, you tend to feel a little bit more depressed because maybe you don't have the energy or the focus or whatever it is that you used to have. And that could be a cause for, for saying, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I've still got it and so forth. But this is giving us the righteous will flourish like this palm tree. What's the plant food here as we deal with gloom where we're planted and potential depression? Gloom and depression are based in the deceitful perspective of fleshly desire. True hope can water us with the word of God and, if we let it, revitalize our broken spirit. Okay, gloom and depression are based in the deceitful perspective of fleshly desire. And that sounds like a harsh statement. What do you mean? Depression is is based in the deceitful perspective of fleshly desire? Think about it. Go go down and, and look at what makes us depressed. What makes us depressed is our feelings of inadequacy or, or, or things haven't gone our way or there's been trauma or difficulty. And we have this sense and we get stuck in a very small place. God did not plant us in a small place. We're just seeing it as such. So what we need to do is have hope water us so it can give us the strength to, to go and grow through all of these things. 
So, using God's Word to give us hope through gloom is sensible and accessible. Now we just need to do it. It's easy to say, have hope, and all will be well. What about when all is not well, and we want to quit? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. You know, a fundamental truth of applying the bloom where you're planted principle is that there are many challenges to grow, to growth, and therefore many fixes as well. Seeing our lives from God's perspective actually works. Having scripture-based hope actually works. These are great. But you know, sometimes, Jonathan, and those are the first two steps, you know, from God's perspective, you know, it takes care of the anticipation without the information, uh, um, Having hope waters us and takes care of the gloom and the depression, but sometimes you just need a friend. Sometimes a friend is what helps to deliver you so that the blooming can actually happen instead of the glooming, if you will. Uh, Amen. We're, 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 Amen. That and, support, support system, that, that is crucial, Rick. And, and we're going to spend this segment taking a look at that and how, how to make that work. Let's go back to uh, Amy Mullins, The Opportunity of Adversity, her TED Talk. And now she's talking about Dr. P and the therapy. Now, remember, you know, she had to have her lower legs amputated. And there's a ton of work that goes into making that really harsh action turned into something very positive. And Dr. P was one who really helped this young woman to bloom where she was planted. One such person who opened doors for me was my childhood doctor at the A.I. DuPont Institute in Wilmington, Delaware. His name is Dr. Pizzatillo, um, you know, an Italian-American whose name apparently was too difficult for most Americans to pronounce, so he went by Dr. P. And Dr. P always wore really colorful bow ties and um, had the very perfect disposition to work with children. I loved almost everything about my time spent at this hospital with the exception of my physical therapy sessions. I had to do what seemed like innumerable repetitions of exercises with these thick, elastic bands, uh, different colors, you know, to help build up my leg muscles. And I hated these bands more than anything. I hated them, had names for them, I hated them. And, you know, I was already bargaining as a five-year-old child with Dr. P to try to get out of doing these exercises, unsuccessfully, of course. So we're going to find out what happens with her bargaining chips uh, with Dr. P and the, and the exercise bands. That and, and, you know, it's very typical. The hardest work is usually the stuff that's, that we dislike the most, and it's usually the work that gives us the most. Good point, Rick. That's part of blooming where you're planted. And, and Jonathan, again, bloom where you're planted, that's the, the, the phrase we're working with today. But, you know, sometimes we think that there's no room 
where we're planted. I mean, it's like, okay, but there's no room for doing anything different or, and, and, and it's like this, this, it, it's a tough spot. What do you do? Well, we get frustrated when we have circumstances or trials or tragedies that just don't fit into our daily planner. It is here we desperately need the encouraging hearts of others to find the strength to cope. So we all have the proverbial in our heads daily planner, the thing that you go that that you say, okay, life is supposed to look this way. For some of us, it's an incredibly detailed document. One of my daughters, my daughter Emily, is is the is the planner beyond the planner, and she can you know, and it just gets all planned out. Now my son Tim, he's just going to wing it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's an interesting thing to to see that. But we all have that inside of ourselves, and so. Sometimes when things don't work according to our daily planner, and that's often, we get frustrated, okay? We have these, these, these difficulties, these things that come up in life, and it's like, wait, that wasn't part of the plan. So there's two aspects to this. First, the formula for growing through frustration with circumstances that aren't scheduled in, okay? Just regular circumstances. And here we go to our theme scripture and its context, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. You know, and that's a strange statement to say, well, look, you know, if you've got something, you know, something to clothe you and you've got food to eat, don't ask for anything else. The apostle's not actually saying that. What he's saying is that... We need to be willing to be contented with very little because what we have in the context of very little is godliness. And if we've got godliness in the context of very little, there's great power of contentment in that, in, the, in, in attaining that level of, of living. Now, let, let's look, Christian growth is founded in the clear perspective that less in this world is often more eternally. Less in this world is often more eternally. And that's exactly opposite of the, 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 uh, the, 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 the abundance ministries that you, you hear about. Yeah, this is a hard concept for most to hear, Rick. It is, it is, because it's hard and we need God's perspective to see it through God's eyes and we need hope. And this is where frustration can easily set in because now the apostle in, in writing to Timothy gets into the practicality of it in verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And again, frustration, you know, your your schedule, your, your daily planner has, you know, become wealthy so I can serve God better. And your life experience has, you're not becoming wealthy anytime soon, so forget about it. And then we have frustration, especially for a Christian. Misplaced desire will stifle our growth. And we have to be careful that our desire is in the right place. Otherwise, we get frustration as a result of it. Verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And so, you know, you think about it, we're talking about needing a friend. The apostle is being Timothy's friend here, saying, 
listen, my son, my spiritual son, look at the things that you could be pursuing and, and make sure you understand why that's not a good idea. Make sure you understand where your contentment truly comes from. So he's being a, a, a real support for Timothy as he's, 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 he's writing to him. He says, are you frustrated with these circumstances? Check what you're running to and what you're running from. Check what you're running to and what you're running from. Jonathan, as we were doing our preparation earlier, you told me you had a, a personal experience that you thought would fit really well here. Yeah, I, I do, Rick. Sometimes we feel there's no room for anything else on our plate, but God knows best what we need. Our family is going through a personal trial right now. This summer, we had to rescue my mom and dad from a difficult situation with a family member who was caring for them out of state in mom and dad's home. And I prefer not to get into specifics. My parents are 89 years old and my dad has moderate stage Alzheimer's disease. Mom was distraught over their living conditions and asked if they could please live with us. They're living here permanently now. It was a big adjustment for all of us and a great responsibility, but we are grateful we can help. They are content and happy, and that, we think, is what's important. The family member who was living at their house is harassing us daily, uh, but the encouragement and prayers from family and our Christian brethren are helping us to find that strength to cope, Rick. You know, and, and that's the thing. Circumstances like that are really hard, and that's why having somebody to lean on, you know, a person that you have trust in and can really, really, really help in, in dealing with such things. So dealing with the idea that there's no room in my schedule, there's no room in my life for these things, having a friend really helps to make room. Mm, and, good point. And, and, you know, now we can bloom instead of being frustrated with th- feeling like there's no room. You know, so the first formula for growing through frustration was circumstances that weren't scheduled in. The second formula for is, is for trials and tragedies that aren't scheduled in. So look, you know, just because you can't get rich, that's not a tragedy. That's not even a trial. That's like, okay, that's not going to happen. There's a whole different level where this friendship and fellowship really comes in, into play. Uh, Alfred Noble, very quick quote. Contentment is the only real wealth. And again, based on that First Timothy 6 scripture for a Christian, that's really, really true. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's go back to Stacy Kramer. Remember the gift, the, the, the gift, the best gift I ever survived. She said, now the cost is $55,000, but she says, man, it's worth it. So you like getting all excited about this thing. Okay, a big cost, but incredible benefits. Let's hear how she finishes. By now, I know you're dying to know what it is and where you can get one. Does Amazon carry it? Does it have the Apple logo on it? Is there a waiting list? Not likely. This gift came to me about five months ago and looked more like this when it was all wrapped up. Not quite so pretty. It was a rare gem, a brain tumor, hemangioblastoma, the gift that keeps on giving. And while I'm okay now, I wouldn't wish this gift for you. I'm not sure you'd want it, but I wouldn't change my experience. It profoundly altered my life in ways I didn't expect in all the ways I just shared with you. So the next time you're faced with something that's unexpected, unwanted, and uncertain, consider that it just may be a gift.
And Jonathan, there you have it. There's the answer for you in that personal experience. Consider it just may be a gift on so many different levels. And, you know, these unscheduled events uh, are become frustrating and difficult, especially when they're traumatic and, and, and trial-oriented. And frustration can overcome us when we're blindsided by a trial or a tragedy or a trauma. Let's go to 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, uh, faith, gold, tested by fire. There's something at the far end of this that comes into play that makes the trauma and the tragedy and the trial a gift and gives us the, the, the strength to bloom where we're planted. And, and again, Jonathan, oftentimes the strength comes from having somebody else to rely on and to share with and to walk with and to, and to vent to. Everybody needs somebody to vent to. So these are all very, very uh, critical parts of getting through there. There's no room where you're planted and, and you know, you're, you're scheduled in events of life don't actually work out the way you want. Uh, and Rick, also the power of prayer for others and letting them know that you are being prayed for. That is very, very strengthening. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we can't do more than that for others, but that's good. You you do what you can do. Uh, Jonathan, Trish is here and she's got a comment or a question. We'll see. (laughs) Hello. Hello. This is actually a comment from the um, Christian Question app that came in. I wanted to share this with you. It says, I work at a school. This week I saw this shirt on a child. Quote, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. I thought that was very powerful, and it goes very well with the theme today. I thought that was great. All right. Thank you. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Amen. It's not a scripture, but, you know, it's got scriptural principle written all over it. So, Jonathan, let's go to another. Thanks, Trish, for that. Um, And folks, look, you know, if you want to get involved in the Christian Questions chat board, it's at christianquestions.com. We love to hear your comments, and, you know, sometimes we can try to get them in, you know, to our our conversation. Let's go to another another story, okay? We kind of finished up with the Stacey Kramer story about the brain tumor. Now let's go to another story. This is actually from a Christian Questions contributor. Her name is Deb, and uh, she's going to just share a little bit of a very difficult story in her life that has happened in in her very, very recent life. Never in a million years would I have thought that my very physically fit, active husband would be diagnosed with brain cancer. There's no history of cancer in his family, but he was. Not until we faced this challenge together did we realize all the love of family, friends, and the Heavenly Father. And our love for each other grew stronger each day we battled this together. So we're going to hear some more from her uh, as we go through this as to some of the details of that. But that's a tough one. You know, oh, that is. You, you, she lost her husband to, to uh, brain cancer. Look, when we think there's no room to bloom, remember that we grow as one part 
of something bigger. And you were describing this before, and and Deb in her story has begun to allude to it. It's and, and the part what we're what we're a part of is something that's marvelously designed. Ephesians chapter four verses eleven to sixteen. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of our stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, now, see, you notice all of these positions in these verses, and it was actually uh, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, all these positions are for the purpose of creating a singular mature man, a collectively complete individual called the body of Christ, and not mature men, plural, or people, plural, each standing on his own. In other words... All of my experiences and all of your experiences and all of Trisha's experiences and all of Deb's experiences are all for the same purpose, to contribute to the body of Christ. So our trials, therefore, are tools of contribution to the growing of this body. And when we share those difficulties, that creates an environment in which we can bloom. What's our plant food here, Jonathan, for this segment, dealing with the feeling that there's no room where we're planted and the frustration of things that aren't scheduled into life? Well, Rick, the frustration in our lives that stems from experiences that we don't have room for can be countered by the feeding of fellowship and belonging. Encouraging hearts go a long way. And, you know, folks, do not underestimate the power of a word or a sentence uh, or, or a gesture to someone you know is struggling. Do not underestimate that power. It can help them to grow through things. And instead of feeling, I don't have room for this, it can give them the strength to say, maybe I can bloom through this. The presence of others in our lives to share the encouragement of our faith is truly an inspiring gift. We have God's eyes, hope, and the encouragement of others to help us bloom. What are we missing? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. You know, these three ingredients are huge factors in learning to bloom where God has planted us. The next element, in some ways, ties all of these things together because it combines all of these things with compassion and clarity. To work, the work of Christian growth cannot even begin to happen without focus on Jesus. So, so far, Jonathan, we have seen things from God's perspective. That's the fertilizing of our, of, our, of our planting. And again, we often anticipate without the information. Anticipation without information. God knows we don't. Then we've got hope that waters us through the gloom and the depression of our experiences. And then we have in the last segment the encouraging hearts that feed us through the frustration of feeling like, hey, I got no room for these kinds of things in my, in my per- personal experience. And now we're looking at focusing on, ger- on Jesus. And that's a nourishing aspect. And let's see what happens here. First, let's go back to Amy Mullins. Remember, she is a kid 
in, in this uh, particular uh, soundbite, and she is working with Dr. P, and she's do, going through physical therapy, which she just despises. But the stuff that she despises is the stuff that's going to make her stronger. Here's how the doctor handles it. And one day he came in to my session um, exhaustive and unforgiving these sessions. And he said to me, wow, Amy, you are such a strong and powerful little girl. I think you're going to break one of those bands. When you do break it, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks. Now, of course, this, this was a simple ploy on Dr. P's part to get me to do the exercises I didn't want to do before the prospect of being the richest five-year-old in the second floor ward. <laughs> but what he effectively did for me was reshape an awful daily occurrence into a new and promising experience for me. And I have to wonder today to what extent his vision and his declaration of me as a strong and powerful little girl shaped my own view of myself as an inherently strong, powerful, and athletic person well into the future. So, you know, I, I love the statement, you know, he reshaped this awful daily occurrence into a beautiful and powerful experience. He reshaped it by giving her something bigger to focus on. And, you know, we're talking about bloom where we are planted. Well, but you know what? Sometimes we feel like and we think that we just can't follow through. You know, you get exhausted, just like Amy in this in the soundbite. And we feel like anxiety looms where we're planted. Forget blooming. It's, it's, it's Anxiety looms everywhere where we're planted. And, Rick, this anxiety can be debilitating as a long road of recovery or adjustment or coping seems overwhelming. Blooming requires focus, and the primary target of that focus is Jesus. And for a Christian, if you want to be able to truly grow through whatever the experience is in your life, obviously you have to focus on the experience itself and doing the things you need to do, but the underlying focus has got to be our Lord and Master. It just has to be. Great quote from Abraham Lincoln that I think fits really well here. My great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. Okay, and the, the, the lesson is really simple. It's okay. It's okay that we fail. But are we content with the failure? Or are we looking at that saying, got to do better. I can do better. I can learn something from that. I can get up. You know, it's a matter of having the right focus because failure happens to all of us and it's debilitating sometimes and you know sometimes you know again you feel like you can't follow through and then anxiety sets in because it's like this is too big and too long and too arduous for me to be able to to to, to plow, plow through how do we do it from a spiritual perspective let's look at hebrews chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 and i love this rick yeah me too Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that we, or you, will not grow weary and lose heart. So, 
The idea is to focus on Jesus, what he did, how he did it, why he did it. He's our model, and he's our inspiration. And we need to um, basically focus on Jesus. But Rick, I have, I have a question for you. Okay. What about if you're trying to bloom in a church you believe you are planted in for spiritual, personal growth, but you find disagreements and contradictions? Should you stay there or could God's spirit be showing you change? Does this mean you're copping out if you do change? All right. So we've been saying a lot about, you know, bloom where you're planted, bloom where you're planted. Well, here's the thing. I think, I think that the basic question you have to ask yourself is, did God plant me there or is God giving me an experience there? Because okay. the idea of, quote, church, unquote, and, and, and look, you and I both have a problem with that word because the church is actually the people, not the building and all of that. Exactly. But the idea of church is to be fed. That's, you know, it's great to be inspired. And, and, you know, and, and I know somebody who's going through this exact thing right now as we speak, and I've spoken to this individual, and, and, and their response to me is, I love going because I love the music, and I love to sing, and I love the praise, and I love the worship. But they said to me, but I'm not being fed. And they're looking for something deeper spiritually that they're not getting. So we've been talking about, well, maybe you haven't been planted there, but maybe you've been given an experience there. If you're looking for spiritual food, you have to find spiritual food. So, you know, here we are, say, bloom where you're planted, bloom where you're planted. Make sure that all of our experiences, we don't see that every experience is a planting, but perhaps it's a learning tool to move to a next level because Christianity is about growing and changing. So that's a very... Excellent. Yeah, Thank that, you. Yeah, that, and that, that's a powerful question. And it, it's one that requires a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. And again, discussion with those who you believe to be spiritually minded. Not inspirational, but spiritually minded. That's where you can get the right kind of true growth there. Now let's go to back to, to the experience with Deb, uh, her husband with the brain cancer. And, you know, okay, you have the cancer, and now, now what do you do? How, do? how do you manage that? My earthly love of my life is gone. And yet, just last weekend, I went to his gravesite to visit him. As I was leaving, an overwhelming feeling of gratitude came over me. With tears in my eyes, I literally said out loud, Thank you, dear Father, for letting me visit Mike at the cemetery and not in a facility where he would be unable to function because of the brain cancer. I realized God's mercy and love for us. It would have been unbearable for Mike to have lived an inactive life and the Lord knew that and would not give us more than we could bear. You know, when you think about it, what she was saying, you know, and it almost sounds harsh, but she's saying is, Father, thank you for taking him. Thank you that he's not with me anymore because I know it would have been such a hard thing for him, and I'm grateful. So I'm grateful that he's gone and, 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 and I know, I know Deb, and I know that, you know, she, she misses him, you know, with every ounce of, of her being every day. But I also know that she understands the mercy of God. And that's how you find how to bloom when it's really dark and difficult. And when anxiety is all over everything, that's how we can find it. So really a wonderful experience and, and, and response to a tragedy 
in life. Take your anxiety to these next verses and let these verses shine the light of Jesus' example on that anxiety. Again, it's a matter of focusing on Jesus. And and just just one quick thing from Hebrews, you know, fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's kind of the long range in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Then it says in verse 3, consider him. That's meditating. That's the short range. That's inside. So you focus on him as the long range objective and uh, as the power to get you there. So he's I bo- like that. He's both parts. He's both parts. Nice. Colossians three twelve to 24. Again, we'll take this in pieces. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So there's a lot in these verses, Jonathan, and it talks about, you know, I like verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. That's the friendship that we talked about in the, in the last segment. Yes. But here, we're trying to go on to say, okay, you've got to have that peace. But what makes that peace even more powerful is verse 16. Or I'm sorry, verse, verse 15. Just read verse 15 again. Yeah. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Okay. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, it's, he's not saying, you know, make it. He's saying, he's saying give it room. And it'll do what it's supposed to do. Give it room. Let the peace of Jesus rule. Proper focus gives permission for peace to rule. And when it's a godly peace, because it's the peace of Christ, that changes your life. You know, that if, if it doesn't challenge you, it can't change you. That was the, 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 the shirt that the church was talking about. You know, it's such a powerful thing. Let the peace of God rule in your life. And I love the attitude, how it ends. And be thankful. Yeah. These difficult experiences are helping us to develop to be more like Jesus. So be thankful the Lord deems us um, worthy of hard experiences. So, you know, we are, we are planted in the school of Christ. That's where we're supposed to bloom. And this, these are some of the ways that we can go about that blooming, even if we feel, you know, a lot of anxiety looming around us. Verses uh, 16 and 17 of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you and all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to god whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks through him to god the father okay and again let the word of christ dwell in you it's not it's not like okay make it dwell in you you know here it is it's saying get out of the way you know and you know we go back to a previous segment we talked about the deceitfulness of the heart the heart is what can get in the way of the peace of christ the heart is what can get in the way of the word of christ richly richly dwelling within us let the word of jesus dwell in you focus brings permission okay focus brings permission then you act in jesus name you, when you focus, you give permission for the word of Jesus to dwell in you, and then you can act in his name. And here in these verses, we've got friendship from the last segment and focus really, really working together and you know, doing all things in the name of Lord Jesus. It's focusing on him. The next verses, 
have mutual respect. Wives, husbands, children, parents, that's how you bloom. So now we're going to jump down to verses uh, 22 to 24. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Okay, so again, the idea of focusing on Jesus to alleviate the anxiety that looms in our lives. It's such an important part of this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily and do it as unto God. And, you know, Jonathan, you, you've talked about this many, many times in your life as just making sure that whatever the effort is that's in front of you, even if it's the most menial, menial of menial tasks, to you, it's a privilege. That's right. And, and, and one of the greatest examples I can always think of is Joseph. Yeah. He blossomed in jail, yeah. in Potiphar's house. Yeah. He blossomed everywhere he went. Why? He gave God the glory right. in everything he did. So we have the examples of when anxiety looms in our lives, focus on Jesus. That helps to put things back in perspective. See, anxiety can be turned toward growth when we know the why of all that we do. And, and, you know, we're supposed to bloom. Well, how do you do that? You know, we've gone through all of these verses with all of these suggestions and this focus on Jesus. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, add another really, really important dimension to this part. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so what is it about? It's about understanding that, guess who? Jesus had experiences enough to be able to truly sympathize with us. That gives us hope and strength, and we can go to the throne of grace because we know that he gets it. Jesus gets it. He walked the earth as a man, and he gets it. And that is, again, focusing on him through prayer as we pray to our Heavenly Father gives us a strength where the anxiety looming can become blooming. So what's the plant food for this segment, Jonathan, in relation to anxiety looming in our lives and so forth? Well, Rick, with anxiety comes discontent. But with a Jesus-driven focus and purpose, we can begin to find the daily inspiration for growth. Let the sun truly shine in. Yeah, now the sun is, that's a play on words, isn't it? S-O-N. <laughs> that's right. Let the sun shine in and let the, you know, as, as, a, as, as you are blooming, you need sunlight. And we as Christians need sunlight as well. A plant needs sunlight and we need sunlight. And you know what I mean. Get Seeker Rewind, the full edition. It'll be, it'll be put out there for you to, to make it very clear. But look, anxiety brings discontent. A Jesus-driven focus and purpose brings inspiration, and it takes that discontent and it can turn it so we can then begin to grow. No matter what our issue in life, one of the key factors in fighting it always seems to be that focus on Jesus. 
Christian blooming happens best in a well-cultivated environment. What can trigger us to ruin that? There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry. We never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. The next challenge to our Christian growth plan can act as a trigger. We can see things through God's eyes, like we talked about in the first segment. We can have solid Christian hope, like we talked about in the second. We can engage the help of others and powerfully focus on Jesus, the last two segments. One thing can blow all of this up. One thing, and that's anger. It creates a reactive temptation that is hard to counter. And we all have the potential to become angry. And we really have to be careful of that. And that's why we saved that for the final segment, because it seems to me that it needs to be dealt with with all of these other things in place to help to counter it. First scripture, though, that really resoundingly counteracts it is Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So it's interesting because he's not telling us you can't get angry. He's just saying, do not let your anger lead you to sin. And there's a huge difference. So we've got to work through the emotion. You can't stop it necessarily, but you can see it and manage it. And that's really what we need to do. And, and you know, and a lot of it has to do um, with, with how we look at things and the antidote for managing anger, Jonathan, is a really simple thing. It's one word. What is it? It's relabel. Relabel the experience. Let's, let's go back to Amy uh, Mullins uh, one last time, the opportunity of adversity, a TED Talk that she gave, and she talks about exactly that. She just uses a slightly different uh, phrase to, to make, it, make it work, but this is very, very powerful. Adversity isn't an obstacle that we need to get around in order to resume living our life. It's part of our life. And I tend to think of it like my shadow. Sometimes I see a lot of it. Sometimes there's very little, but it's always with me. Now, certainly I'm not trying to diminish the impact, the weight of a person's struggle. There is adversity and challenge in life, and it's all very real and relative to every single person. But the question isn't whether or not you're going to meet adversity, but how you're going to meet it. So our responsibility is not simply shielding those we care for from adversity, but preparing them to meet it well. There's an important difference and distinction between the objective medical fact of my being an amputee and the subjective societal opinion of whether or not I'm disabled. And I love that. And that's why at the beginning of the uh, podcast, I said, you know, she was disabled. And I said, I use that very carefully because what she proved through her life is, no, the objective medical fact is I've got, I don't have lower legs. But am I disabled? No. Absolutely not. I'll race you right now and I'll prove it. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know and, and there and, and you know, the subjective societal opinion. We need to redefine the adversity. That's what she was saying. Relabel 
the experience, because God wants us to grow through the difficulty. So, Jonathan, just, you know, we sum this up. You know, we see through God's eyes, and that kind of fertilizes us. You know, and, and that takes care of the doom that might be up here where we are, we're planted. And that doom comes from anticipation without information. Hope waters us through the gloom that, that can, can lurk in, in, our, in our lives because it you know, looks, looks dark. Hope gives us water. Uh, you know, the frustration where we say, oh, look, there's no room in my daily planner for these things, no room. The frustration, encouraging hearts, others, they feed us through those experiences. Uh, anxiety looms often in our lives, and the focus on Jesus is what nourishes us through that. Relabeling our experiences, that's, you know, anger, you know, here, here's what happens. Sometimes, instead of bloom where you're planted, sometimes we get so angry, we just want to go boom where we're planted. Now, I know that one's a little bit of a stretch, but hey, I was having too much fun to not put it in. I admit it, okay? So sometimes we just want to go boom where we're planted. What does that mean? Well, recountering this serious reaction takes a serious effort, which begins with boundaries and choices for our thought and actions, and then relabeling what the experience is all about. Okay, so we've got to... Put the effort in, um, and that begins with setting boundaries and making choices. When it comes to anger, we need to have boundaries and we need to have clear choices. Quick quote from Socrates before we get on to those boundaries and choices. Contentment is naturally wealth. Luxury is artificial poverty. Natural wealth versus artificial poverty, you know, and too often we run past the natural wealth of contentment, because we want luxury. And, you know, we have to have our perspective right. Anger's boundaries. Let's, uh, you know, and this may be one of the most difficult of all the exercises, is managing anger. And in terms of boundaries, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 26, and then we'll go to verses 31 and th- to 33. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the market without asking questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Okay, so we're talking about anger, and then we quote a scripture about eating meat sold in the marketplace. It's like, wait, wait, wait. How, how, how do you connect those two? Was the seat... Uh, the meat sacrificed to, to idols or not. Right. Don't, a- don't ask. <laughs> right, right. And, and because that was such a dramatic difficulty in the early church. And for us, you look at it and say, oh, really? I mean, you had a hard time with that? Come on. But for them, if you understood the heritage of the Jewish Christian and how they were to stay away from all unclean food, first of all, and then secondly, Anything that had to do with idolatry was considered an abomination before God. And so to have a Jewish Christian be exposed to, and, and you remember Peter had the vision where the, the unclean animals would come down in the sheet, and, That's and, right. and God is telling him, it's okay now, it's okay now. So for the Jewish Christian to accept that was a bitter pill to swallow. And there were angered debates in the early church about eating meat offered to idols and whether you should or whether you shouldn't. And the apostle is saying, look, And here's the thing about the boundaries. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Okay? There's lots of things that you can do, 
But as a Christian, there are many things you should not do. And that's a principle that applies to managing our anger. Don't do the things that you shouldn't do that are going to provoke the anger out of the realm of godliness. Set the boundaries and live by them. So so what he's saying here is I will not cross into the areas that are unprofitable to my Christianity. Too bad about my emotions. Now, I don't know about you, Jonathan, but saying too bad about my emotions is not, I mean, you can say it pretty easily. But it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> and I can imagine that, again, in your own experience that you're going through right now, it's probably a little bit of a difficult thing sometimes, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. It's... So, so what do you do? So how do you cope? I mean, when you, when you feel like the, the anger, your blood pressure going up, what do you do? I trust in the Lord. And I say we don't want to run down this path of, of anger and evil. We're going to rise above it, and we're not going to we're not going to play games. So it's a matter of you're you're relabeling what what the input, yeah. and saying it's this is input that is telling me to rise above it. Exactly, and you've drawn a boundary. See, that's 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 powerful stuff. Verses thirty one to thirty three of First Corinthians ten. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the Church of God just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. So what the apostle is saying is, look, all of my limitations will be set based on the godliness of the actions and reactions. I am going to really work on setting boundaries for what I do and do not do because I have a greater good in mind. So whatever the input it has to come through, and especially if, if, if anger starts to, to, to well up, we have to relabel it to be, make it so that our response, not our reaction, but our response is a godly response. So just to illustrate this, now this has nothing to do necessarily, although may, necessarily with anger, but let's go back to Deb one last time. You know, after her losing her husband to brain cancer in a very untimely manner, I mean, we're talking about a young man uh, who, who, who passes away very, you know, very uh, suddenly in, in, in a lot of ways. And it came out of nowhere. How do, you, how do you put that all in perspective? How do, you, how do you get the labeling for that correct? Well, let's listen. So I was planted in a whole new life. I'm trying hard to bloom in my new garden of experiences, and I think with the Lord's love and guidance that I'm doing pretty well. I have learned to appreciate all that I do have, not to be sad for what I don't have, and to cherish what I did have at one time, and especially to appreciate the blessings I have today. I know there are others that miss a beloved spouse. I would hesitate to tell them how to feel or face their loss, but I would tell them that I am so grateful to the Lord for the time He gave us together. Just imagine if that never happened. What a, what a testimony that is. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's inspiring to me how she labeled each part of it. You know, cherish what she did have, and accepting what she does have, and 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 so forth. So, be, and putting the labels, the right labels, on the right parts of the experience, help it so that we can really begin to bloom. Uh, 
What a beautiful perspective. It is, it is. And again, you know, this, this idea of relabeling, Jonathan, I was telling you before, uh, again, my Uncle Steve, who I talk about uh, frequently, um, he had a, a, a sermon on labeling our experiences when I was a young man. And it was just one of those things. And, and I, you know, I knew him on a daily basis. And when life would get a little bit difficult, he would always say to me, now, Rick, you know, what, what's the label that you're putting on that? What's the label? And I mean, he literally lived that. And when he was taken with cancer and he was being absorbed by the cancer at the end of his life, his labeling, Jonathan, his labeling was dramatic. And I remember, and and I'm I'm a little off subject here, but bear with me because this is about blooming, really. The last couple of days of his life, I went to visit him and I knew I wouldn't see him again. And he was not even able to speak anymore. And so I really, I went to say goodbye. And I, and I was in my, uh, my uh, 30s, I think, at this point or so. And um, he had a favorite scripture. And, you know, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And he would quote that scripture consistently throughout his, his days. And as I am getting ready to leave, he cannot speak, but he's making noise. And the, the, the noise that he's making is the rhythm of the way he would always quote the scripture. And I walked, I, I was bawling my eyes out, <laughs> leaving the room, because here, here's a man who had labeled his experience, for so it seemed good in your sight, and I'm about to die. And it seems good in your sight, because it's your will at this time. I, you know, those are wow. the things that make you. You know, those are the things that make us. Those are the, the examples that we look at and say, when I grow up, I want to be like that. Wow. And it, it was just, just truly amazing. Beautiful. So, so let's get back, you know, to, to wrap this up now. Uh, classic relabeling of our anger-driven actions. Now, again, we're talking about anger primarily, but we've got to relabel everything to be the, the blooming environment of our lives. The context of the next scriptures in Matthew 5 is Jesus setting the groundwork for his higher teachings by referencing back to the Old Testament law or some interpretations of it. And it's interesting because there's an old label and a new label. And when you go through Matthew 5 in this, in this section of Matthew 5, it's all about the old label and the new label. So let's get started. Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. We're going to read this from Philip's translation. You have heard that it was said to the people in the old days, Thou shalt not murder, and anyone who does so must stand his trial. Okay, the old label. To murder means that you're a cause to stand trial. You're going to have to go on trial. That's the way the Old Testament law uh, was worded. What does Jesus say in verse 22? But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother must stand his trial. Okay, that's a new label. He's saying, now, it used to be to murder puts you on trial. Now he's saying the, the new label is to be angry is now for the followers of Jesus to stand trial. Just to be angry, okay? This is an internal sin that has not necessarily done anything against one's brother except with own, in your own heart. Now, in the, in the text, it says, you know, you, you have to stand before the judges, and, you know, some say it was a court of seven, some say it was a, a court of 23 men empowered to judge some classes of crimes. And that's who he's saying, you have to stand trial. That's what he's referring to. So he's saying, there is judgment when you are thinking and when you are angry inside of yourself. New label. You've got to be more careful. 
continuing in verse 22. Anyone who contemptuously calls his brother a fool must face the Supreme Court. Okay, the Supreme Court was the high council of the Sanhedrin. It was 71 men, the high court of the Jew, Jews for very grave offenses. So if you contemptuously call your brother a fool, he's saying you have a higher judgment than you ever thought possible. And then he continues. Anyone who looks down on his brother as a lost soul is himself heading straight for the fire of destruction. So the old label was essentially, look, say what you want, okay? The new label is you represent Jesus, purify your thoughts, and purify your words. So the new label is a higher standard. And in all of these ways, we look at it, and we have to abide by that higher standard because that's what brings us to truly blooming. Now, look, Jonathan, our relabeling of our experiences should never provoke us to anger or should never bring second-guessing or ever bring doubt. That's not the right kind of relabeling. The relabeling of our experience should always bring godliness and humility and direction and clarity and praise. Those are all the things that come from the proper relabeling. So instead of going boom where we're planted, we can actually bloom. Plant food, Jonathan, as we wrap up. Anger suffocates the cycle of growth. To intentionally weed it out, we need clear boundaries of thought and action and a convincing relabeling of our experience's purpose. So anger is going to suffocate growth. Clear boundaries of thought and action and a convincing relabeling of our experiences puts things in the order they need to be put in. So the phrase, bloom where you're planted, not a scripture. But look at all of the good lessons that we're able to draw from it because we look at it from the standpoint of scriptural reasoning and growth in Christ and putting God's will and God's way first and foremost above and beyond anything else that I might want, say, do, or think. Remember, it's about blooming in Christ. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. Remember, you can bloom where you're planted. Follow godliness always. Think about it. Folks, look, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about how does faith actually work? Talk to you next week.